0: Hello, this is Jeffrey Sachs of the Mendel Foundation's Visions of Jewish Education Project. I'm here today with my colleague, Dr. Aaron Henriksen, and we're talking with Rabbi Chaim Bravender about the state of the Hebrew language, and particularly how that relates to Jewish teaching, Jewish learning, and Jewish education. Rabbi Chaim Bravender is the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva HaMiftar in Efrat, and the founder of Michlelet Bruria, for Women, which today is known as Madrash Lindenbaum, and he is also the President of the Atid Foundation, which he founded together with myself to serve the modern Orthodox community of Jewish educators. Rabbi Bravander, thanks for joining us.
1: We've been thinking about the state of Hebrew in North American Jewish education as part of the work of this project. I'm sure you're probably familiar with the debate about whether students in North American Jewish schools are really learning Hebrew at a level that makes it possible for them to study texts in the original or alternatively, possibly simultaneously to have fluent conversational Hebrew. We want to take a step back from that debate and think a little bit about the place of Hebrew in Jewish studies, uh, particularly at an educational or pedagogical level. So maybe you could tell us something to start off about what we might say is the halakhic status of Hebrew. What's the value of Hebrew from the point of view of Jewish learning? Is it essential? Is there anything in the tradition that you could point us to that would be worth considering as we think about this problem?
2: It's important to distinguish uh, between what is called modern Hebrew, which is uh, a very modern expression of, uh, of, of Jewishness, which started someplace at the end of the 19th century, and which developed into a language that can be used effectively day by day. Um, it's actually uh, quite uh, almost miraculous that modern Hebrew exists. Um, When the uh, Hebrew University began and the Technion in Haifa, most of the teachers spoke European languages and couldn't imagine that they could teach technical subjects in the new upstart language that was called Hebrew, which was all right for bus drivers but certainly couldn't be used effectively for teaching chemistry and physics. Uh, The miracle is that somehow, in spite of the obvious difficulty, somebody made the decision to make Hebrew a priority and turn this new language into a realistic means of communication for anything that happens in the modern world. And so that uh, Hebrew is not only revived in modernity, but it was recreated and made into a language that, uh, that can be used in any area, for any field, uh, any, any means of study and today, in high school and university all over Israel. There isn't even a thought that, uh, that, there, are, that there are subjects or, or areas of it, of inquiry that could not be taught in Hebrew. That's a miracle. However, before the end of the 19th century, people also spoke Hebrew, but in a different context. The context of the use of the Hebrew language was usually Talmud Torah, the study of Torah. And while in different places of the diaspora, this language was used to a greater or lesser extent, it was fairly clear that everybody who was a great Torah scholar could make himself understood in Hebrew. It was also clear that the only language in which you would write uh, novele or new ideas that had to do with Torah, was in, um, was in Hebrew. In Eastern Europe they generally did not write Chidushe Torah in Yiddish. Um, Since uh, the Middle Ages, uh, they did not write Kedushetar in Judeo-Arabic or any other Jewish uh, heavily used Jewish language. I mean, there were yeshivot in Hungary where they taught in Hungarian, but no one would think of writing anything in, in Hungarian. So that was a different language. That was a language that was entirely connected to Torah study, I suppose in a way similar to the use of of a certain kind of Latin in uh, the Catholic Church in the, in the Middle Ages until until modern times. So when you speak about Hebrew, you have to recognize the fact that there are two languages. There's the language that used to be called Lashon HaKodesh, which was always used either for Tfilah or for Talmud Torah. And then there's a new language that's called Ivrit, which uh, very much uh, forms and informs uh, the Israeli reality. I mean, it suddenly belongs to Israel, it's produced in Israel, and it works in Israel, and uh, really, um, I don't think can be easily exported to any other place in the world.
0: Thirty years ago, when you founded your schools here, which were designed primarily for... Uh, young men and women from North America to come and study, you made a choice that almost exclusively the language of study would be English. That is an apocryphal story that we discussed the other night about you and Nechama, a line in the bank and an umbrella in which uh, Nechama Leibovitz uh, Zichrona Lebracha either waved the umbrella or struck you with it. Uh, But uh, uh, because of your position on this. So I'm curious, what were your considerations uh, in making that choice? Uh, what do you think of it over the light of your 30 years of experience uh, teaching students from from North America, and uh, how you went about figuring out your relationship to Hebrew as a language of instruction?
2: Uh, uh, perhaps a biographical note I grew up uh, speaking Hebrew written in America I went to uh, the school uh, called the Yeshiva Flatbush which probably is most successful in teaching its students, both male and female, to function speaking Hebrew I think that uh, that's changed over time and uh, while wow. As when I went to school, the Yeshiva's Lab was one of many schools that taught in Ibrit. I think the relative success over the years has diminished for a variety of reasons. Uh, the, uh, for example, the art phenomenon, uh, which says that uh, that learning of the original, in the original, is kind of a waste of time. because With arts growth, you will not only get, uh, you'll be able to cross that hurdle without being involved in learning Hebrew, but you're going to get the result uh, produced by people who are serious Talmidei Chachamin, which on your own you would probably not be able to achieve in any event uh, very easily. So that that learning Torah in the original has become... Uh, less interesting uh, unimportant uh, the the value added is not stressed at all in the school system and in study system and, and it may be that that within that particular context it would be hard to find what the value added uh, might be now when I came to Israel I had the good fortune of finding a way to become a teacher of Torah. The students that I taught were, um, uh, were Americans, by the, by the, for the most part, whose competence, language competence, was poor, and who generally didn't know Hebrew very well. I was interested in immersing these students as quickly as possible in the experience of Talmud Torah, I understood it. And I thought that a detour to learn the Hebrew language would be um, counter It would produce uh, a lot of effort. Uh, they would never really get to the study of Torah in a reasonable amount of time. And they would lose interest, uh, uh, possibly. So I decided that I would teach people in a language that they understood if they understood English and not Hebrew, we taught in English. If they understood Hebrew, we taught in Hebrew, and that's the way it works. On this point, Nakata Olevitz and I had a disagreement. Actually, I didn't disagree with her, she disagreed with me. And she felt that uh, bringing kids to Israel to teach them in English was uh, a defiling of some sacred notion. Which, uh, of course, she, she was not able to clarify to me, since I didn't change my mind. But she was very adamant about this, and and, and that's where the uh, famous uh, uh, encounter in the discount bank took place in uh, in uh, But I think today that uh, that I'm right, and that uh, teaching Torah to the uninitiated is more important than learning Hebrew, even though I'm the first to admit, and I insist even, that Hebrew has a spiritual dimension to it. Speaking Hebrew has a spiritual dimension to it. However, it's very hard to teach people to uh, get the receptors for this spiritual dimension within themselves you know, uh, activated. On the other hand, if you teach people Torah, and the teacher is teaching Torah, the students are learning Torah, and Torah has this great weight of tradition behind it, then I think it seems to me that it's easier to get people who are so inclined to connect themselves to the spiritual values of Torah study. So that while I think that Hebrew is a spiritual enterprise, and that speaking and learning in Hebrew has spiritual value, I think it's a much more difficult thing to achieve with most students than teaching a Mishnah. Because a Mishnah, as everybody knows, is, is, is thousands of years of Jewish tradition and enterprise, which then can be easily transmitted within the person to something valuable, meaningful, and, uh, and, and serious. And, and so I opted to prefer the Torah component over the language component, something which I think is still, in fact, true. I mean, I've taught many kids who come come from uh, day schools in America who come um, with a greater or lesser uh, amount of knowledge, but generally very poor comprehension in spoken Hebrew textual skills uh, because things that you don't to point to you generally don't learn you know you might be able to learn them enough to pass a test but you don't really learn them because no one is able to explain to these kids who come from english speaking countries why it's so important for them to prattle in hebrew and uh i'm sympathetic to that actually and uh, that uh, that's the people who live in outside of israel the study of Torah is far more important in terms of character uh, identification. In order for them to be able to see themselves as something apart from the regular culture that they find themselves in, much more important than uh, being able to say a few more sentences in a modern Hebrew, which, as I said, is a spiritual enterprise. But not one that's easily accessible to kids who don't
0: know Hebrew. Are going to start learning it at an advanced, a more advanced age. Yes. Once upon a time in America, forty or even fifty years ago, <coughs> Hebrew was in a better was in a better position. People's comprehension, people's mastery of Hebrew was different. The Jewish community in North America maintained a regular weekly publications in Hebrew. People corresponded in Hebrew, not just writing Hidushet Torah, not just writing uh, books of books of Talmudic interpretation, but they actually communicated in Hebrew about matters of the day. And The Yeshiva Flatbush, while perhaps the most notable example, was just one example. It might be the only place today that's still holding on to, to this idea. To what do you attribute the the downturn, is it only because it's operatively less necessary? You mentioned the art school phenomenon a moment ago. Or is there something more to it?
2: Well, I imagine that in Europe, Eastern Europe, where the Jews that I knew about came from, had a certain disdain for the culture in which they grew up. And that not speaking Polish, and not speaking Ukrainian and not speaking uh, um, uh, Russian, uh, had a certain appeal, and the Jews always had this idea that they would speak a language that only they understood, like Yiddish. But when the effort turned to Eretz Israel, I mean, there was a kind of renewal that took place, and people, the Jews themselves, differentiated themselves as those who spoke Yiddish as the identifier, the identifying component. And those insisted that there should be a new, a new identifier called Ivrit. Now, kids who grow up in America today, they don't feel that way about America, about English, about the culture. Uh, quite the contrary, as much as rabbis might, uh, you know, take one, one opportunity or another to speak out against uh, certain aspects of the general culture. The children, as everybody uh, sees, uh, are very comfortable in that culture. They know the cars, they know the rock stars, they know the baseball players. They are, um, I mean, they're Americans. They're Americans who go to Shulshah this morning. And they don't feel at all compromised, inhibited, uh, ideologically compromised by speaking English. I mean, they're happy about it. The fact that English is also, such a powerful, uh, uh, in such a powerful position in the world, is something that you can take with you wherever you go. You can get every book that's ever been written, translated into English, in, in a literal form, in an approximate form, in a concise form, in a, you know, one of these uh, uh, cheater test kind of form. I mean, everything, it's all there, and the kids don't feel it any way that this compromises themselves, their personality, their Jewishness, their uh, whatever. So, so there's no ideological reason for them uh, to bother themselves with learning another language in which they will identify. With which they will identify. And also, uh, it's quite obvious that the Hebrew spoken in, in Israel is a regular kind of language. And it's not obvious to, again, to even to students or to the young people, that the Hebrew spoken in English is better than
1: superior. In
2: I mean, he was spoken in Israel. The I mean, even spoken in Israel is better than or, or superior to, what interesting than the English that's spoken in America. And, in fact, when they come to Israel, right, wherever they go, of course, everybody runs over to speak in English to them, as though the, uh, the desire, the harsh desire of all the... Israeli students is to become proficient in English so that the spiritual side of speaking Hebrew is not clear to the American uh, uh, students. Uh, The right wing uh, prefers to speak Yiddish in order that this mixture between old Hebrew, Lashon HaKodesh, and new Hebrew, Yivrit, should not somehow defile their Way of thinking about about things, so that what you need is not just Hebrew speakers like Israelis who can bring Hebrew speak speech to the diaspora, but you need an ideology which makes all of this effort meaningful, and that ideology doesn't exist today. Um, Once upon a time it was right. Once
1: upon a
2: time it was being, being uh, yeah, well, Zionism, socialism, independence, uh, uh, we're not the same as everybody else, we're, tr- we're on the move, we're, we're transferring ourselves from Russia to Israel, maybe detouring from America. Today, that doesn't exist. I mean, People who live in America live in America. They come to Israel, you know, by chance, a small number. So they, they come to to America. It's just another place. to Israel just another place to live. It's not, uh, you know, it's not so ideologically tied uh, to, to commitments of one kind or another. And therefore, I mean, learning Hebrew is kind of an annoyance that you'll you'll deal with that annoyance when the time comes. If you come to Israel, and if you live in Israel, and if you have a job for which you have to speak in Hebrew, which I mean, I think those jobs are getting lesser and lesser. Uh, Okay, so you'll end up, you learn Hebrew from your children, at worst, the worst case. But it's not, there are no prophets of Hebrew. There's no one who has a, uh, a message. There's no, no one who is selling uh, a Hebrew to anybody today, and therefore, there's no one, who, no one who thinks it's important. I mean, that seems to be the fact.
1: Can I ask you to go back for a second to the idea about a spiritual value in speaking Hebrew? And if you could say a little bit more about what that means for you, personally.
2: I, just anecdotally, uh, since my children were all born in Israel and I always spoke in Hebrew to my children and my peers and people younger than I have often asked me, why did you do that? I mean, after all, the children will learn Hebrew on the streets and you could speak to them in English. And in fact, it turned out that my children spoke English pretty poorly. And uh, I still saw them got married, and then they married English speakers, so their English improved. But uh, but I said, why do, you, why do you speak to your children in English? So I said, because I want to speak in Hebrew. I mean, who else am I going to speak to? It didn't seem to me that... That uh, that I came to Israel in order to maintain a bit beachhead of English speaking wherever I happened to to live i mean uh, it's like it 's like always you 're always preparing Jews are always preparing for something, so like you want to prepare for the worst possible scenario that your children will be forced to shallow to leave Israel and speak English someplace, but I never thought that way, I thought that. I had come to Israel and that's where I wanted to be. And speaking Hebrew was part of being in Israel. That's the anecdotal position. The second thing I would, I would like to mention is a halachic position. The, everybody knows that you can, Shilah uh, can be said in any language. So if you don't know Hebrew, it's even probably preferable in certain cases to take a do it with a translation into a language that you understand. And then you can connect to the words and the ideas, etc. Now, the Mishnah says that you shouldn't do that. That if you can read Hebrew, if you can read Hebrew, even if you don't understand the words, you should try that to, to say the tefillah in Hebrew. And maybe you could also look at the English or the other language at the same time to get some of the ideas, but the words should be, it's preferable for the words to be said in Hebrew. Now he says this even though he agrees that the basic halachic position is that you can dominate any language. But he says that that every language is heavily nuanced. I'm not sure if he says that, but that's what he means. And Hebrew is certainly no exception. And that just saying the words of Hebrew that were established as the proper form of prayer by the men of the Great Assembly is uh, meritorious. I mean, it's, it's almost as though he said you can pray more in Hebrew than you can pray in any other language. So that, for him, the, the spiritual value added of Hebrew is in the fact that it's nuanced in a way that translation is not the uh, this might be true about any translation, about anything. But here he puts it—he puts it in a, in a spiritual context. He says that even if you don't know what you're getting into, even if you don't know why it's better, you should—you um, should use the Hebrew language in any event, assuming that what you're saying is more significant, richer, fuller. Uh, uh, And I I think that, I think that, um, just as I spoke earlier about the miracle of modern Hebrew, I think that, uh, that, I mean, this is something that I can't prove, but you know that there's a tradition that says that the creation of man was the creation of speech. That when HaKodesh Boko, when God created the world, the way man was designated as something, man slash woman, of course, Man's flesh was made, was designated as something remarkable, was through the power of speech. And that speech, at least according to the tradition, was in Hebrew, when God spoke to Adam Harishon, or God spoke to Chava. It was always, it was always in Hebrew, so that to come to the conclusion, this not a scientific conclusion, but this is a, a kind of an emotional uh intuitive conclusion which is that if speech is what enhances man as a creation then hebrew enhances speech in a way that no other kind of speech uh can and therefore the 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 punishment after the tower of babel was that uh, people had other kinds of speech which were good and which certainly are effective and can produce spiritual responses, but not as good as not as good as Ivrit. And therefore, and therefore, uh, uh, associating yourself as a Jew with Ivrit is essentially—I mean, if if you point it in that direction, it can be a spiritualizing uh, affair. True. It could also be demeaning, it could also be misused, it could be also be underrated and under underspoken. But if a person is a Torah person, like learns and if he takes himself seriously as a religious person, and he uses the the, the language of the of the Torah and the Tanakh and the Mishnah and the Halakha, then he he finds himself in that world all of the time, even when he's not intellectualizing it. And that's the kind of a spiritualization. You know, anybody who ever met a Yemenite Jew, uh, an original Yemenite Jew that came from Yemen, they spoke Hebrew. That Their Hebrew was made up of pieces of verses, sections of Mishnayot, parts of the Gemara. And that's how they said, I want to go buy uh, some tomatoes. It was all within that context, so that even if they weren't learning the Torah, they were with the Torah. They were walking. The, the Hebrew language gives you the opportunity, using the Hebrew language, to put the, the whole into Kodesh. Right? Not in an artificial uh, or a, a forced kind of way where, where people have to look unhappy, but but in fact, it's just a tremendous advantage there. The Hebrew language, which is the language of the Torah, which is where we try to find our spiritual connection, that language used for properly for day-to-day affairs becomes a source of, of spiritual connectiveness. It, it changes me. I, I'm not like anybody else. I mean, anybody who speaks two languages and, you know, tries to speak uh, in English, for example, and uh, speaks the language uh, which is connected to Torah and Filah. I mean, sees immediately that his, he's a different person when he speaks the one language and speaks the other. Not that one is good and one is bad, but one is much deeper and more profound and connects you in a, in a very special way to your, uh, to your spiritual roots. And, and this is just, I'm, I'm just uh, uh, mentioning this from my, my own experience. I'm not saying, uh, surely, that, that this could not be true for uh, someone who speaks Welsh. The, but, uh, but I am saying that it, I feel it's true for me. And that, and that it could be true for people who are on this cusp, you know, they, they have to decide who they are, what language they're going to speak, how they're going to communicate, and is there a difference? I mean, so I think that for those kinds of people, this might be a, a
0: positive kind of thought to kind of engage in. My wife always likes to tell the story of uh, getting home to discover the cottage cheese that she bought had been long since expired and returning it to the, to the Makolet, and the, the grocer's response was, of our Yomo Batal carbono, And if our listening audience doesn't catch the reference, we can't explain it here briefly.
1: We want to ask you one more question about what kind of triage this problem might require for educators in North America who are starting from the beginning and yet still facing the kind of problem that you described with your students from America if you're building a school or curriculum from early childhood up and yet know that this is the situation that a lot of North American Jewish communities find themselves in now, is it possible to conceive of not insisting on Hebrew as a a very high priority in the curriculum? Would there be a big loss there, a big damage possible there?
2: I think it depends on, on how you perceive the issue. On what what is Jewish education supposed to accomplish? Now, of course, uh, that's an easy question, but it probably has many, many answers. But if, for example, I, I'm in a school where the teachers get together and they say, the most important thing is to communicate with children. By well, that they mean to be one of them. If the way the teacher sees his role is being a student, although maybe older and fatter and uh, slower, and, uh, but, but you've got to talk to them in their language, you've got to know what they know, and you have to be... If that's the way a teacher sees himself, then of course, I mean, uh, Hebrew is like the last thing in the world that he would ever invest any time or energy in. If, however, there's a school where where the school is academically accomplished and uh, they even manage to teach uh, a good relationship to text and they're looking for a way to spiritually enhance their students, like if there is such a school, I'm not confident that there is, but if they're looking for a way to give uh, some of their students a special opportunity, then they might consider the advantages of learning in Ibris. But again, uh, if a school is the kind of school where the kids are problematic and not happy about going to a Jewish school and not happy about the time that they have to invest, etc., then I can't imagine that anybody would agree to, uh, to, make this, uh, to make this possible, that they would try to teach Ibris. Teach so that by large, I don't, I don't see the point to it. I think that in America, for example, also in England, which is a place that I'm fairly uh, aware of, um, the thing that will save the Jewish people is a connection to the Torah. Now, that connection so, will be defined differently by different communities in different ways, but the way that the Jewish people will continue to identify themselves is through a connection to the Torah, something that is special, a language that is their own, uh, a kind of literature that that, that sets them apart, and uh, uh, they have to get to that as quickly as possible. They have to get to that Torah as quickly as possible. You can't tell them, okay, uh, you know, we'll learn Torah, but first we'll study Hebrew for 10 years, and then when you're able to navigate the Mishnah in Yiriz, we'll start navigating. That's not going to work. No one will go for it. And no one's going to learn anything. And I think that um, you have to take advantage of the fact that uh, that there are a lot of texts that have been translated, and the translations are good, and the commentaries are good. You have to take advantage of the of the world in which you live, which is producing a lot of a lot of A. So I think that that Hebrew will be put off. The, the value of Hebrew put off, and I would hope that somehow in Eretz Israel where The opposite problem is true, the kids take for granted the fact that they can speak Hebrew, which is usually not something that spiritualizes your vision of things, that somehow in Eretz Yisrael we could try to teach the young people that the fact that they speak Hebrew is not something that they should take for granted, but that it's a wondrous uh, thing that has to be appreciated, and maybe the appreciation that could get going in Eretz Yisrael would by some ripple effect also at least produce curiosity elsewhere in the world, which would then generate in, let me, small circles, an interest in joining this kind of spiritual endeavor in uh, in one way or the other.
1: Great. Thank you very much for your time today.